You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Morning, everybody. Good to be with you guys. Um, I am, uh, my name is Riz. If uh, I haven't met you yet, it's my nickname, but that's what I go by. And so if I haven't met you, welcome. So blessed to have you join us. Uh, we are going to get right into the Word of God. We're going through the book of Mark verse by verse. And so we're already into chapter 2. If you missed last week, we kind of did the first uh, 12 verses. And so today we're doing Mark 2 verses 13 through 17 is our text today. So Mark 2, 13 through 17. If uh, someone next to you doesn't have a Bible, you can share with them. Or we do have Bibles back there you can grab also. But uh, Mark 2, verse 13 through 17 is our text today. And uh, as always, I'll be teaching out of the New Living Translation. But um, I'm a fan of many translations, and so I'll be using different scripture references uh, from other um, translations. But anyway, uh, read with me Mark 2, verses, verse 13. says this. Then Jesus went to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Then Jesus, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the place that you have us in your word this morning. And God, as we, as we gather this morning, we gather around you and for you and to receive from you. And we pray that that would be true of today, that we would receive from what you want us to have. I mean, that you would... You would Open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to your spirit and what your spirit and your word is going to say to us today. And we ask, Lord, that you would equip us, uh, as your word would say, to do the work of the ministry, to be, to be Christians, to be believers in the midst of a world that much of it doesn't love you, does not know you, is in opposition of you. And so, Father, we just ask God that you would... Give us real insight of how to be in the world and not of it. How, how, how to love you and follow you when others don't. But more than that, Lord, we ask that you would give us your heart. That we would see th people through your eyes and not our own. That we wouldn't see them by their mere outward appearance, but we would see them as you see them, by their inward condition. So would you give us your heart for the city of Honolulu, for this island, for our neighbors, 
God, we just ask that you do a real work in our hearts. You continue to do so through your word. And God, as, as King David would say in the Psalms, we want to echo these words. That the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. God, we, we ask that we would think the same about your word this morning, that we would treasure it, that we would apply it, that we would know it and memorize it and not turn to the right or to the left. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So once again, we jump into this story, into this scene, into the narrative, into Mark's narrative of Jesus. And we get another scene of the story here with Mark. And if you're here last week, you know, last week there was this miraculous healing of this paralyzed man in, in, in Peter's house. And even, in, even a greater miracle was that Jesus forgave his sin. And that claim that to forgive sins, he proved by healing this man. This man was paralyzed and he said, is it easier to forgive his sin or to make this man walk? And he did both in that moment. Proving that claim that he could indeed forgive sin. And ultimately, that would be validated upon the cross, right? When he defeated sin, death, and the, and the devil, Jesus became victorious over the penalty and the power of sin, which we now share in as God's people. Like, we share in that victory. We, too, have, have victory over sin and the power of sin. And, and so what Jesus said that to, to this man, I forgive your sin, was backed up with these miraculous healings. And today in our text, the next story picks up, like, right after that. Later, it says. Or, or right after. And, or then. You know, right after the scene in Peter's house in the city of Capernaum, our story picks up on the very shores of that town on the Sea of Galilee. Right? It says that Jesus went out to the lake shore again. That lake shore is the shore of the lake, which we call the Sea of Galilee. Um, if you've been to Israel, how many people have been to Israel? Anybody in this room? A few of us. Um, if you ever have the chance, it's an incredible opportunity to, to see, you know, where the Bible was written and where Jesus walked and talked. And I've got the privilege to go uh, actually a few times now. And uh, for those of you that haven't gone, which many of you haven't, to give you a little idea of this, I, I have a couple maps for you today, some visual uh, tools for you. I'm going to do, so don't show me yet, don't show me yet. So... I don't know if your brain works like I do, but I just need to see like the big picture first, then zoom me in a little more, then tell me a little bit more. If you just bring me to a detail, I'm like, I don't know how that detail connects to the big story. A lot of you guys joking here. If you see me taking a picture, I like pan panos a lot. A lot of you guys joke. I like, like panos because I'm like, show me the big picture. Then I understand why that matters. Anyway, <clears throat> tangent. So if you see me like going like this, I'm not taking a video usually. I'm taking a pano. Um, but anyway, so... Where am I at? Uh, Jesus is in the city of Capernaum. So, and he's on the shore of that sea. And so I have a map of Israel. So if you don't know what Israel looks like, 
Uh, I'll kind of move for a second maybe. So this is uh, modern-day Israel. And if you notice the blue inland, so I, this is the Mediterranean Sea over there, but the blue inland is the top, that little tiny thing is the Sea of Galilee. That blue line going down is the Jordan River. And then at the bottom is the Dead Sea, and that separates Jordan from Israel. And so northern Israel is the Sea of Galilee. Two-thirds of Jesus' ministry happened around that region. That little piece of water is seven miles by 12 miles. Small sea. It's kind of like a joke. Like It's not a sea. It's a lake. Uh, if that little scale right there, Israel's really small. Like, that's the scale, 25 miles. So from, you know, the Sea of Galilee down to Jerusalem, what, 75 or so miles. It's a really small piece of land. That's why it's so tense right now. It's a small piece of land that's being fought over. It has been fought over for a long time. So Sea of Galilee. And so next, next slide. I got a little zoom in. Sea of Galilee. This is a little bit uh, more detailed map. The only thing that you need to, like, really you know, understand, is at the very top, sorry for the back, you can't see it, and I don't really have a laser pointer, sorry, so, uh, the top, like, if you see a church, you see Mount of Beatitudes, Church of the Apostles, and the city of Capernaum is right there, like, the north side of the Sea of Galilee. This is where Peter's house was, this is where, um, it's not Jesus' hometown, right, that's Nazareth, but this is like his base of operation, so to speak. I mean, he, he, he spent a lot of time here, he did a lot of miracles here, a lot of the book of Mark so far has been in um, Capernaum, and so uh, now next slide, I think I have a third one. So this is modern day Capernaum. So uh, this is what they've found, this is what they've dug up. Uh, I wish I had a laser pointer right now. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, I might, honestly, I'm going to go up. I'm going to go up. <laughs> so <clears throat> is this going to do something with the speakers? Watch yourself. Uh, anyway, so Capernaum is really small, right? You're looking south now to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. You can see the other side. It's not a sea. It's kind of like a lake. But this is what they've kind of like dug up right now, really tight quarters. These are all houses. This is the synagogue of Capernaum. This is where Two or three weeks ago, when Jesus cast out the demon in the synagogue, that's where it was. Um, there's also, you know, parts of Capernaum that haven't been, you know, cared for. But if you go to Israel today, this is the city of Capernaum. It's not a big, it's not a big one. But this round building, operated by the Catholic Church now, is where supposedly Peter's house is under that. You can view it, you can see it in it, and that's where. All this just happened last week. And so Jesus walks out of that house and he walks down to the seashore like that, to, to kind of bring it home for you. I just saved you $5,000, by the way, to go to Israel. There you go. Here's your Israel trip. But, but just to give, you know, some meat to it. I mean, this is a very ordinary situation. It's not a big bustling metropolis. I mean, this is a little tiny fishing village on the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. It's really like you know, the backwoods of Idaho. I mean, it's definitely not like, you know, where it's bustling. That's Jerusalem at the time. But Jesus did most of his ministry here to the people in this region. And so, you know, back to our text this morning, what happens is, is that Jesus just heals the guy uh, in Peter's house. And then he goes down to the lake shore. And it says that he just begins to teach them. He teaches the crowds. Anyone that follows, he's going down and he's just teaching them. And if you guys have noticed, almost every story or scene so far in Mark, we've seen Jesus teaching or instructing or explaining the Old Testament. And this is what, what he did. And people were amazed. 
You know, in the same scene when Jesus was teaching in that, that synagogue, when he cast out the demon, people, it says, were in utter amazement of how much authority he had when he taught, being the son of God, of course. That it, it was like no, like no one they had ever seen before. And what we'll continue to see is that one of Jesus' primary purposes was to teach what he came to do. He came to teach of the good news of the gospel, tell of his heavenly father, how we, how we can be forgiven and how our life is to look in response to us giving our lives to the Lord. I mean, I mean over and over and over, he's instructing, he's teaching, he's, he's training the disciples or he's teaching the crowds or he's correcting the Pharisees. So much of what Jesus did was he taught. Uh, in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew sums it up really well, like what Jesus came to do. Um, I have it on the screen here, but Matthew 4, 23 through 25, gave a real good explanation of Jesus' public ministry. Um, It says this, it says, Jesus was going through all Galilee, right? We just saw that. He was teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He was healing every kind of disease, every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains and demoniacs and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them, right? We've been seeing this. Large crowds followed him from, from Galilee to the Decapolis to Jerusalem to Judea and beyond the Jordan. Look at the first thing, though, that Matthew tells us Jesus does. He teaches. Oh, do we have that? No problem. Has it not been up there? Okay, well, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23... The very first thing that he says is that Jesus taught in synagogues. I mean, you know, if you you give an explanation of, you know, things that you do, usually you give like one of the most prominent things first or the most important things first if you give a list of attributes. That's Matthew 4, 23 through 25 if you want to write it down. But it's a good explanation of of like the the public ministry of Jesus and what he did. We're going to see that in Mark and we see that every week. But he was walking along teaching. You know, verse 14, it says that as he walked along, verse 14 of our text this morning, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. And Jesus says, follow me and be my disciple. And Jesus said to him, so Levi got up and followed him. So what happens is he sees this, this guy named Levi, and he's the son of Alphaeus, better known as Matthew. We can just call him Matthew. This is, this is the same Matthew that you know of Jesus' disciples. This is the same Matthew that wrote the gospel of Matthew. That's the same person we're talking about. One of the 12 authored the book of Matthew. And so Matthew here, he's, he's a tax collector. He's sitting at his tax collector's booth. And Jesus is walking along. He's teaching the crowds on the lakeshore of the, of, of the city of Capernaum. And just like he, he previously did with the other four disciples, if you remember a few weeks back with Peter and Andrew and James and John in Mark 1, he calls Matthew to follow him. He, he's walking by. Just like he did the fisherman previously, he sees this tax collector, and he calls Matthew to follow him. And so in here, Mark includes that Jesus specifically, uh, he he put what that meant. He, 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 He included what it meant to follow him. It meant entering into a process of discipleship. You know, previously, Jesus said, hey, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they're like, I don't know what that means necessarily, but yes, I'm in. 
This time he says, Matthew, come follow me and, and be my disciple. Follow me and be my disciple. Or in other words, be my apprentice, be my student, learn from me. Do what I do, say what I say, think the way I would think. Try to imitate and emulate what I do. So leave what you're doing and come follow me. Become like me is what Jesus asked him to do. And so what did Matthew do? It says he got up. He got up from his tax collector's booth and he followed Jesus in the same way that the fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, immediately left their nets on the seashore, stopped fishing, stopped working, and started following Jesus. What's important to note is Matthew's profession as a tax collector. And I think maybe some of us really don't know the significance, so we just kind of go over it. Like, oh, he's just a tax collector. He's part of society. Yeah, somebody's got to be the IRS, right? Somebody's got to do that. He's just... But to better explain it, I'll give you another definition of what, what that meant. Matthew here was a tax collector working for the Romans a.k.a. the oppressive regime at the time, to forcefully collect taxes from his own Jewish people. A little bit, little bit worse, I mean, I won't say, a little bit worse than other people. I mean, Jews that came, became tax collectors were thought of and treated really as traitors. I mean, I mean it was way, way more than like, you know, like, there's a lot of good that comes from taxes, right? Like there's, but he, it was way more back then. I mean, it was, he was a Jew that was working for the Romans to take money from his own countrymen. And, and if you were a tax collector, you, you were thought as, as betraying your people even and joining in the oppressive regime to take your money. And the way that tax collectors made money was to charge a higher tax to the people and then give the Romans what he needed to give the Romans and then keep the rest. So he's actually like skimming off the top, off his countrymen, like off the people from his town. He's charging them more than he needs to to make money for this oppressive uh, political regime. And so in a sense, he was like robbing his own people of their money. And the Romans were precisely the reason why the Jews had been hoping and praying that a Messiah would come. Like, literally, they were hoping a Messiah would come to free them from the Romans and people like Matthew. I mean, to free them from this oppressive rule. And Matthew represented and aided, like, the oppression going on. I mean, I mean, you see this. You could say it nicely that he was not a liked person. It wasn't necessarily that, like, he was an outcast. I mean, he was because of what he did, but he actually was, like, hated. Like, why? how could you do that to us? Like, you betrayed us. You're a traitor. Like, how could you collect taxes for the Romans? And this is what he thought of. And so Jesus sees this man, and he says, you, it's you who I want. And all that comes with you, and, and what everybody thinks about you, I want you. Come and follow me. He chooses this man and all his baggage and, and, and all his reputation and all that comes with it. And he chose this man to be his disciple. And, and doesn't that at all give us a glimpse into who God seeks after? I mean, so far, Jesus has got like five disciples in Mark's gospel, right? He's got five. 
And this is like a ragtag bunch of guys. They're not trained. They're not educated. They're not liked. They're not skilled. I mean, we've got a bunch of salty fishermen. It's all they've done for generations. And then we've got this tax collector that's like a traitor. And this is like the crew that, that Jesus is like gathering to himself to pour into him so that the gospel can spread to the ends of the earth. I mean, right? These are not the maybe, you know, top of the list crew here. But what we can see, just, it's just a glimpse again, is that God's continuing like pursuit, you know, and, and compassion and and calling near to him like the broken, the outcast, the hated, or even like in this case, maybe even the enemy of people. Like the father heart of God is to go after the broken, the hurt, the outcast, the enemies of society. God's like, I want you to come and be near to me. Because that's what like discipleship meant for Jesus. It meant like, hey, come and do life with me for three years. And like, just be with me. Learn from me, but like do life with me. Discipleship for Jesus wasn't a program. It wasn't like on Thursday nights, we go through this one chapter of the book. Don't get me wrong. I've done that a lot. It works. It's good. But Jesus' form of discipleship, which is like really good, it's lifestyle discipleship. It's like come and be with me, live with me, do life with me, and learn from me. And he is asking these guys to do that for the next three years before he would go to the cross. He's not just asking, like, come to the Bible study on Thursday nights. Jesus is saying, like, because, I mean, that's going to create a lot of problems, right? Have a traitor with you all the time? Like, have someone that's hated by everyone? Jesus, that's kind of a weird thing to do. But, again, this shows us the Father heart of God, right? Like, so far we've seen he's, like, he's, he's healing the leper. He's healing the paralyzed man. He's forgiving his sin, He's calling these salty fishermen and now a tax collector to be his guys. And it gets even crazier. I'd say better. But verse 15, it goes on in our text this morning. It says, later, Levi, Matthew, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. These were, there, there, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. So this is what happens. Literally, Matthew, like day one of being a disciple, he invites his new rabbi, his new teacher, Jesus, and his fellow disciples, right? He's in discipleship with them, and Jesus is their teacher. He invites them, like, you know, over to dinner. It's a dinner party. And also what he does is he, along with, you know, his tax collector buddies and, uh, you know, other tax collectors around that Matthew knew, right, that he worked with. And then there was other, like, disreputable sinners. A lot of translations just say sinners. But the point is that these people are people that you don't want to normally associate with. They're far from God. Uh, They're not holy. They're not religious. They're the outcasts of society, so to speak. And so what's happening is Matthew is throwing a dinner party. He's just asking people to come over to dinner. And, you know, by the nature of his life, being kind of a traitor and betrayed his own people, and he's working for the Romans, he's mostly got a ragtag, rough-around-the-edges group of friends. Like, that's just who his friends are. They are not close to God. They are not near to God. They are not righteous people. They are not religious people. Like, Matthew is in the world. He's wrapped up with all kinds of people that exhibit very sinful lifestyles. But that's his friends. 
Like, those are fellow tax collectors. These are other people that he's associated with. But then also, like, who gets invited to his house is also Jesus. And this guy is amazing, right? He's, 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 he's amazing because he's God. He's God in the flesh. He's, he does all these miracles. He's this godly teacher with amazing authority, authority who forgives sins and all his followers, you know, his, his, his four buddies, the other disciples. And they're all having a meal under one roof together at Matthew's house. And again, you saw the houses, like the houses are like this big. That's the house. I mean, this is like a tight, intimate, close meal. And that's what it meant back then. Like sharing a meal at a home, and it still does. But even more significant back then is that sharing a meal in a home with people was a very intimate thing and, cl and close thing to do. It was really only done by people that you trusted your family, your friends. I mean, if you knew that you were dining with someone at a table, let alone in your home, I mean, you knew that they thought of you as friends. You knew that they thought of you as, as, as close, as trusted. Um, it wasn't just like, hey, let's invite these random people for like a mixer at my house. It was like a close, intimate dinner party. And a lot of people think it was like Matthew's way of celebrating like a new season in his life because he's like getting out of the tax collecting business and he's following Jesus now. Many people would think that, like many commentators, like this is a celebratory meal and, and, and Matthew's just inviting all his buddies. But what we see here in a very tangible way is that Jesus was like freely sharing a close, intimate meal with sinners, right? Men and women who were far away from God. And our text also said that many who followed Jesus came from the, a lifestyle of sinful behavior. It wasn't just like all these religious, um, you know, kind of with the propensity to follow Jesus people. It was like the, like, the, like the outcast, broken, hurt, dirty, far off people. These are the people that are following Jesus. It should tell us something about the heart of God, right? that he's so loving and compassionate and graceful that people that are far off from him will share a meal with him, right? I mean, you can, just, you can just get from that what that would mean. But this gets the attention from more than just, you know, a few people, right? The town's small. Everybody knows what's happening. So this gets attention of the Pharisees. Verse 16 this morning, Mark 2, 16 says, but when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him, Jesus, eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, how does he eat with such scum? New Living Translation actually adds that, such scum. There's like this degrading sense to the, the translation there. Like, how could Jesus be doing such an intimate thing? Like, all the tax collectors and all the sinners of town, they're eating with Jesus. How could he do that? And the Pharisees, you know, they were a legalistic religious group that strongly upheld, and, and, you know, traditional Mosaic law. They, were, they had strict observance to the law. Their downfall, though, was that they treated their, tr their own traditions or even religious traditions as having equal authority as scripture. 
Like, yes, there's scripture, but yes, there's all this other stuff that we think should go along with it, and it's just as important. And if you don't do it, I'm going to call you out for it. They also allowed their relationship with God to just be reduced to a set of, like, do's and don'ts. They were just the definition of legalism. Your relationship with Jesus equals do this and don't do that, and you're good. As we all know, that's not what relationships are solely consists of, right? It consists of a relationship, conversation, being with people. And Jesus, we're going to see, he's re- he rebukes them multiple times, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, for being hypocritical, self-righteous people. And so in true pharisaical fashion, we see that they, they, what they saw Jesus and the disciples doing was just like unfit. Like you cannot do that. As a righteous, godly man, how could you dare share a meal with a sinner? And so even in their question, when they asked the disciples, hey, how could he eat with such scum? Even their question, you can see what value they put on the people, these Pharisees. Right, you can see that they, ha- they, see, they see little or no value of the people who Jesus was dining with. All they saw was, oh, these people, they're godly and he- they're ungodly heathens and not worthy to be with. And they were bummed about it. And they, didn't think, they didn't think it was right that Jesus was hanging out with them. Right, how could Jesus, right, the supposed man of God, be spending time with these people? But you see that for Jesus, he saw everyone else in that house in a very different way. He didn't look at the outward appearance. He looked at the intended position of their heart. See, see God intended all of those people and all of us and all of humanity to be with him. Right, to be near to him. But yes, sin has entered the world, right? Sin's messed it up. We have these sinful tendencies now. And so he's with these people that are very far from God, that are rebellious, that aren't near to God. But instead of just seeing their lifestyles and identifying them as, oh, they're just sinners, or they're just this, or they just do that, which the Pharisees were doing, he saw them as, no, these are... This is God's creation, and God desires to be with them. And if I'm with them, it's a way in which I can bring them to God. If I'm not with them, that won't happen. God's heart, the way in which he saw them, was very different from the Pharisees. He didn't define them by their lifestyles, actions, behaviors, choices. He saw them as God the Father saw them, right, with compassion, with love, with care, and with longing that they would be reunited with his father. That's why Jesus said yes to the invitation. That's why he opened the door to that house and sat down. And some of your translation would say that they reclined at the table. Reclining at the table was a sense of, well, you know what happens after Thanksgiving meal come Thursday. Reclining is like you're satisfied, you're done, you're comfortable. Reclining is, is you trust the people around you. You're not like, you know, worrying about what you're doing and making sure everything's good. Reclining is like you're done with the meal and you're just talking now and you're being with family and friends, like much like what you'll do this Thursday uh, at Thanksgiving. 
But there was this real sense where Jesus was like, I see you as God intends you to be, not by who you are. And the Pharisees saw something so different. Pharisees valued them as scum, but Jesus saw them as friends. I mean, real, real friends. He was a friend to sinners. I mean, that, this is where that phrase comes from. Jesus is a friend to sinners. It's, it's that he dined with the tax collectors and the sinners, and he was near to them because he wanted them to know his father. So his response, Jesus hears about this, verse 17. Jesus heard this and he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those who think, who, not to call those who think they are righteous, but to those who are sinners. And that, that's the truth of the gospel, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. I mean, Jesus came for the very people these legalistic religious leaders were telling him to stay away from. Like he was saying, don't dine with them. And he's like, I came for them. Like you're missing the whole picture. And that was, their, that was the whole point of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They would point out like, don't do this and don't do that. And Jesus like, do you see the big picture? You're missing out on the heart of God and you're picking it apart with your legalism. See, Jesus came to do the very thing that he was doing, to show the love of God to a very broken, needy, and sinful people, which we are all a part of, right? That we all once were. Like, we, for those of us that have come to know Jesus, you've put your faith in Jesus, right? He's your Lord. You were once these people at this table, but all of humanity is far off from God, and everyone needs to encounter and be with Jesus. And so for us, it's practically like, Lord, okay, what does that look like for us? How do we be Jesus to those around us that maybe even people that are our friends and even other Christians say, hey, why are you hanging out with them? Right, because that was the Pharisees. These were like religious, like by the book type of religious people. And they were saying, dude, why are you doing that? But as we look at this story, I wanted to allow us to just spur us to pray for and to live with God's heart for people. Not our own preconceived ideas. It's so easy to label people and identify people. And then once we've identified people, we're like, that is what they do. And that is just so wrong, right? We've just so stereotyped and we've so, you know, compartmentalized people. And then we've got our own unwritten rules of who we'll hang out with and who will not and Blah, blah, blah. And the list goes on, right? We do a really good job at protecting ourselves. We do a really good job at uh, not getting our hands dirty, even as believers. But I think the challenge, the heart, the encouragement for us as we look at this text this morning is let's be like Jesus and look at not the outward appearance, but the inward appearance. And let's pray for the Father heart of God with those around us so that we can be with them and point them to our Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that through these stories, that through these glimpses of you recorded by Mark, written by Mark, we, we thank you that we see the Father heart of God. Through, through you, the person of Jesus Christ.
that you show us your compassion and your love and your care for those that are far off from you. And I pray that your example would spur us on as disciples, as your disciples, to do what you did. And I don't, you know, for all of us, it's a different thing. It's a, that maybe is a, it looks different practically in our own lives. But would you start with the most important part, our heart, Lord? We want our heart to be your heart. We want our eyes to be your eyes. Give, give us your heart and your eyes for those around us. We want to see people as you would see people, not by what people tell us we should see, not by even what our own preconceived ideas should be. We want to hear like your heart according to your word by the power of your spirit to love people the way in which you did. God, thank you. And we ask, Lord, that uh, well, as we continue to worship, that we thank you, that we would uh, really just give back to you in praise and worship for who you are and what you've done. But as we scatter this week, that you truly would use us for your glory with those around us.